الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم ويهدي إليه من أناب الذين آمنوا وتطمئن قلوبهم بذكر الله سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون وسلام على المصلين الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم If you look at the world around it's very easy to notice that there is a lot of chaos If you look at the world around it's very easy to notice that there is chaos everywhere, in every direction you look. It's not specific to our time. It's been this way, and it will continue to be this way until the Day of Judgment. Extreme chaos. Um, and it's everywhere, everywhere you look, right? I mean, it's in greater society, it's in communities, it's in households. And uh, this can be overwhelming and overbearing for the human being to be able to handle. When there's this much chaos, when there's that much chaos present around, it's very difficult for an individual human being, an individual soul to be able to handle it. It's overbearing. It's, uh, it, 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 uh, is, uh, it's very difficult, very challenging to handle. It's, you could say, impossible. Why? Because when there's so much external chaos, the result of that is that it is transferred internally. The effect of external chaos is that it very easily becomes internalized, right? And so when you're in an environment of chaos, it's you can expect that at least some of that is going to transfer into your own heart as well, into your own mind as well. It's very difficult without it. And that perturbs a heart. It's uncomfortable. It's unhealthy. It's against our fitrah to be in a state of chaos. Now, interestingly, or you could say not surprisingly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created a solution for this. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created a solution for this, recognizing that, look, the heart can be disturbed. The soul will be disturbed because of all of the external factors that are around us. And some of those, or some of that chaos will inevitably be internalized. But is there a way to rectify that? Or is there a way to circumvent that? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran so beautifully. He says about the believers, those people that believe, they are people who find peace their hearts find peace and solace in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's remembrance. Look, there's chaos everywhere. And everyone is exposed to it. And secondarily, everyone has to internalize at least some of it simply because of the exposure. But the believers are a unique set of creation. The believers are a unique set of people who they are able to accept that fact that some of this is going to be internalized. Yet they are a group of people who recognize that the way their hearts can circumvent that this issue or their, the way their hearts can find solace to this issue and their minds can find peace and comfort despite the chaos that's around and inside us, 
Their characteristic is that they are people who find solace in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's remembrance. Now, it would have been sufficient in this verse that we've heard so often, right? We've mentioned it in, our, in many gatherings in the past. You know, it would be sufficient for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to say, look, the believers are those people that find solace in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's remembrance. They find peace, they find contentment, they find satisfaction in Allah's remembrance. But then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala continues the verse. He doesn't stop there. Then he places emphasis on what he just said. The believers are those people that find solace or contentment in Allah's remembrance. Let me repeat this for you because maybe it didn't hit home the first time. That verily, and depending on how you translate Allah, at least verily or with emphasis, indeed. Or you could even take it further and say only with, only with, depending on how you translate it. Only with or verily, indeed, in the bidikrillahi tatma'inul verily, indeed, uh, the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is where the hearts find satisfaction and contentment and solace and ease and peace. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created this mechanism for us. He's created this mechanism for us. He initially mentions that this is a characteristic of the believer. Or the, at least you could say this is um, this is part and parcel of, 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 of who a believer is. And then he goes on to say that, look, if you're looking for solace, if you're looking for peace, if you're looking for satisfaction in this world, then turn your direction toward Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's remembrance. And you will find it. And you will find it. True peace in this world is achieved through Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's remembrance. And this is mentioned so many places in the Qur'an. And this is the purpose of the next, you know, 72, you know, 60, 72 hours or so. Is we try to understand what it really means to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, one of the questions that comes into the mind is, okay, so we have this gathering and we'll be here inshallah, but why, why this topic in particular? <clears throat> why did we choose to focus an entire weekend, extended, a long weekend, on the topic of the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? And there's three reasons that, that come to my mind at least, and I'm going to mention those inshallah. The first reason that we're covering this topic is because the dhikr of Allah, the remembrance of Allah, although it's highlighted many places in the Qur'an, and although it is so, it was so prevalent at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, and even at the time of the pious predecessors that came soon after the Prophet ﷺ, in today's day and age, it's completely lacking. It's absent, you can say. You know, you ask someone what it means to do the dhikr of Allah, or what it means to remember Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you'll get very limited answers. Most people don't actually even know what it means. In fact, you know, recently I was um, I was traveling and uh, out of town, and, and um, after a talk at a masjid, I uh, met with a few brothers, and these are older brothers, right? They're, like some of them have had children, and they were, mashallah, advanced in their deen in the sense of their community was advanced, and they were, um, you know, the Islamic school for the children, and uh, they were coming to the masjid, etc. And it and and after a little bit of conversation with them, they began asking what it really means, what what the dhikr of Allah really means, because they had come up in 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 the top in the conversation, and it dawned upon me shortly thereafter that, wow, people have no idea what it means to actually remember Allah. 
people don't know what it means. And the conversation was, what, 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 is, what, is, what do you mean by dhikr of Allah? What does that actually mean? How do you do the dhikr of Allah? I know that, and, and I think this was actually the exact conversation was that, you know, I know that I can sit and recite subhanAllah a hundred times. Is that, is, that, is that what it means? That's the extent of what our understanding is of what it means to remember Allah or what it means to do the dhikr of Allah. But at the time of the Prophet ﷺ, this was so uh, prevalent that everyone was engaged in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's remembrance. This was, such a com- this was so common at the time of that community. And yet our community is now, you know, I don't know, hundreds, hundred, a hundred times larger, if not more, in terms of sheer number. And yet, the, and yet uh, we have almost no understanding. No one's even engaged or even thinking about what it means to remember Allah. What it means to perform the dhikr of Allah. So it's such a rarity and it's unfortunate because it's a travesty that we as a community don't understand the power of Allah's remembrance. We don't understand the benefit of Allah's remembrance. We don't, under, we don't even know how, how to remember Allah or how to think of Allah. When Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Qur'an, He commands us in the Qur'an, فَذْكُرُونِي Do dhikr of me, make mention of me, remember me. And yet we have no idea how we can actually carry out that obligation that he's placed upon us. And it's unfortunate because the remembrance of Allah Ta'ala, it's like, it's like the, a fortress. And we're actually going to come to examples of this in, in, in the book that we're going to cover. It's like a place where a person can retreat to when they need it most. You know, it's, uh, it's, it's like a place of, um, it's, not literally a, it's not really a physical place, but you can almost think of it as this space that a person has that they need in order to maintain or, or preserve themselves. You know, the example I can give is if you're, if you're driving on the street right now and you come across an intersection and there's a, a homeless person, right? In this weather, you begin to feel sorry for them. You begin to think, wow, where is this person? What's this, per- what's this person's plan? You know, even if in your own mind you think, oh, you know, maybe he just wants you know, my money for this reason or that reason or he could have gotten a job and all those things. But in the back of your mind, you're thinking, it is, it's like negative five outside. Where is this person going to go tonight? How is this person standing outside for three hours and he doesn't have a place or she doesn't have a place to, to be able to retreat and get this space where they can sort of warm up so that they can get back and, and continue whatever they need to do, right? This is in our mind. We have that space right now, right? It's, it's freezing outside. But we know that there's going to come a time at the end of the day, if we're outside for, let's say, an hour or so, we know we're going to eventually retreat into this space of warmth. We can get comfortable. We can be at ease, right? And if we don't have that or if we see someone that doesn't have that, we, we, become, we, can, we, we feel very sorry for them. In the same way, believers, when, when it's, it's, it's unfortunate. It's like when, when believers don't have access to or don't have the ability to perform the dhikr or the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they're in a worse situation than that person who's outside on the street because they don't have a place to retreat. Where are you supposed to go? Right? The people that remember Allah or are regular or consistent in the remembrance of Allah or they know what it means or they know how to remember Allah. They have this space where no matter what difficulty they're in or no matter what situation they find themselves in or no matter what challenge they find themselves in, they have this space where they can retreat to and they can sit and reflect upon Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's greatness for instance and they can feel this sense of warmth and peace and happiness and contentment and ease and people that don't have that ability they're completely missing out. And this is the state of our ummah. This is the state of our community. Right? I mean, this in, in the past, and you'll see, uh, we'll see through examples, that in the past, the ummah had undergone tremendous difficulty. Individuals, people of taqwa, extreme piety, underwent extreme difficulty. And in that difficulty, they found solace in the remembrance of Allah. 
we'll see Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah who uh, was imprisoned was in prison for years right unjustly you could say in prison for years and it didn't disturb him because he felt he found solace in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's remembrance right so if we don't have that space where no matter what challenge we as a, an individual or we as a community where we can retreat to, right? Not physical meaning the masjid, this space that's, you could say, metaphysical or, it, or you could say it's a, it's, it's a metaphorical term where you can retreat to and spend some time in Allah's remembrance, it's, it's unfortunate. And the ummah is suffering because of it. So the first reason that we're choosing this topic is because it's so rare today to come across people within our community that can comfortably say, I know what it means to remember Allah. I know what it means to act upon fadhkuruni. I know what it means to, I know what it feels like, or I know what the experience is to find solace in my heart through the remembrance of Allah. Or I know, I know what it means to be believers who find solace in the remembrance of Allah. It's rare, almost non-existent. And the intention is... From this gathering, we revive this within our own hearts, and inshallah, we then revive this within the hearts of our community as well. The second reason that we choose this topic, uh, and it relates to the first, is that uh, people are suffering. People are suffering. The ummah of the Prophet ﷺ is suffering. In general, humanity is suffering. And because there's so much suffering, it's so prevalent in the world today, and you could say more prevalent today than it was a thousand years ago or 500 years ago or 2,000 years ago. Because there's so much suffering today, emotional suffering, physical suffering, psychological suffering today, people are resorting to many different means to, in, in search of alleviating that suffering. Right? So you have uh, people that are now looking toward various techniques of meditation. Why? Because they're looking for a way to find peace in their life amidst the chaos that's present around them. And this is, um, uh, this is now widely, this is, this is now present in all societies. It used to be that meditation of, or meditation or you can say self-reflection was restricted to certain communities or certain traditions or certain countries of the world. But now it's all across the world. And everyone is looking toward this because they're looking for some satisfaction in their life. They have all of the quote-unquote dunya, right? The comforts that we have today, we didn't have 500 years ago. We didn't have dishwashers and washing machines and we didn't have heat. I mean, if you lived in an area where the temperature would get five below, like it is, you know, this week, that was it. You just lived like that. That was your, that was your, uh, you just, um, you, you had to deal with it, right? And yet we have the comfort of, 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 uh, of temperature control where we can sit and be, it'll be, right now it's sitting as if, you know, it was a month of June. This is how we're sitting right now, or the month of May. We're sitting comfortably. So we have all of that comfort, and yet we as, a, as humanity, we have all that comfort, and yet we're still not content with, with our lives. And we are less content with our lives today than we were 500 years ago. And so as a result, people are looking toward as many different directions. They're looking, like I mentioned, to different techniques of meditation. They're searching because they're looking for something. And it's not just anyone. It's Muslims. Muslims are looking toward this. And we don't realize... We don't realize that this exists within our own tradition as well. This has been in our tradition for millennia. This idea of sitting in solitude for the purpose of bringing contentment into our life has been there forever. People are looking toward, um, toward books 
right? New York Times bestseller title, Happiness. That's the title of the book. It's a bestseller. Why? Because this is what people are looking for. Humanity is looking for this because there's so much suffering today. Or um, drugs. Believe it or not, and this is what the, the, the next generation is going toward, in order to search for happiness in life or contentment in life or some better meaning in life, people are resorting to illicit drugs that eventually will kill them. But because for that short period of time, there's some benefit in it, or at least perceived benefit, people are resorting to these things. Not just, I'm not talking about people that don't believe in Allah, people that believe in Allah are looking toward these things to find contentment in their heart, not realizing that it exists in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's remembrance if we were to really dig deep within our tradition and understand how to practice this. Yet we haven't, we haven't, we haven't done that. We've neglected it. We think that, that this is not a part of our deen. We're going to look elsewhere to find this within our life. And yet in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's remembrance, all, a lot of this could be found. So the first reason we're doing this is because it's rare. It's rare to find this practice within our community where people can feel comfortable and people know how to engage in Allah's remembrance. And simply, people know, what it, people know the benefits of remembering Allah. The second is because of the degree of suffering that we as a community are going to and we as humanity are going through. And yet we don't, we, we have, we, we've yet to realize that we can alleviate this suffering internally through Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's remembrance. And then the third reason, and again, these all kind of tie within each other. It's because if a person can connect with Allah, and connecting with Allah requires abundant dhikr of Allah. If a person can deeply connect their heart to Allah, they empower themselves. If a person can deeply connect with Allah, they empower themselves. <laughs> because one, it brings peace and contentment into their heart. And two, there's always a place for them to turn to. There's always a place where you can turn. When things are not going your way, or once trouble or calamity befalls you, or in general you feel your, your self-esteem is going down. Right? You, feel like the need to be, you feel the need to be empowered. If you have a connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, a deep one that only occurs through Allah's remembrance, then you empower yourself. And the effect then is that the entire community is empowered. It's a tool that's been given to us by Allah, that's expected by Allah, but it's been given as a blessing by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to uplift and empower the community. This is the effect of Allah Ta'ala's remembrance. It empowers people and it empowers the entire community. And the hope is that through, or by the end of this weekend, this will become very clear to all of us. By the end of the weekend, the intention, our hope, inshallah, is that this, all of this will become clear to all of us. So, In deciding how to cover this topic best, um, I had come across a, a text um, of Ibn al-Qayyim al-Jawziyah, rahmatullahi alayhi. Um, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala have mercy on him. Um, and the hope, inshallah, is to cover... Um, there's different parts of this text. So the text is called Al-Wabil al-Sayyib, min kalimat tayyib. It's uh, a book, you can see it here. Um, the translation, literally, al-wabil al-sayyib means like the, the, the downpouring rain cloud, is what it means. Min kalim al-tayyib, which is like the goodly word. But they, it's translated, the text is translated as the, invoca the invocation of God, the invocation of Allah. 
invoking on Allah. And uh, there's multiple parts to this text. The first part um, is kind of an introduction. The second part is um, uh, is a little bit on the remembrance of Allah. And then the third part, which is the part that we're hopefully, hopefully going to cover, inshallah, the topic is on the many benefits of remembrance. The many benefits of remembrance. And uh, Ibn al-Qayyim, he actually mentions 100 benefits of remembrance of Allah. And we're going to probably not get through all 100 of them. We're going to try to get through as much as we can, inshallah. So the plan right now is to give a little bit of a background on who Ibn al-Qayyim, rahmatullahi because in case you're, if you're not familiar with him, you should be familiar with him. A little bit of background on who he was, um, and then uh, and then begin the actual text itself, inshallah. And the plan is to cover this in, in all the subsequent sessions of the course of the weekend. So Ibn al-Qayyim, rahmatullahi he was a, a very prolific scholar. He was born in the year 1292, and this was a time of... This was part of the golden age of Islam. And this is where a lot of scholarship had, had arisen. And you'll see some of the names that I'm going to mention. This was a, this was a very special time for the Ummah, the Prophet ﷺ. Because this is where a lot of scholarly work that wasn't even present before actually came about during this time. This is in the late 1200s, the early 1300s, and that entire century actually thereafter. And so he was born at that time. He was born in a, in a place close to Damascus. And Damascus... And that entire area, present-day Jordan, Syria, and Iraq, Baghdad in particular, these, Damascus, these were, you could say, the centers of Islamic scholarship at the time. So he, uh, he, uh, so he was raised there, and his uh, father had, um, was, you could say, the principal of a school called Al-Jawziyah, and that's how he got the name, Ibn Al-Qayyim Al-Jawziyah, uh, which is how he had gotten the name. And uh, he... Um, his life changed at the age of 21. And it's because he had met his uh, teacher, Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah, who's a very, very famous scholar. Most of you have probably heard of his name. Very famous scholar, Ibn Taymiyyah, rahimahullah. And he was the one who I had mentioned earlier. He was the one who was imprisoned for an extended period of time. And it was there's a lot of history behind this, and the point isn't to go into it. But Ibn Al-Qayyim had such a deep love for his teacher that when they had imprisoned Ibn Taymiyyah, they imprisoned all of his... Um, you could say his students with him as well, and they had let the students go. Ibn al-Qayyim chose to stay with his teacher in prison, and he stayed with him for years in the prison. And it was a very difficult time, but they found a lot of solace, and again, in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's remembrance. And it was only when Ibn Taymiyyah rahimahullah had passed away that Ibn al-Qayyim had then followed his janazah, and he, and he left the prison as well. Now, uh, Ibn al-Qayyim was a very special person. Now, Ibn Taymiyyah, if you know a little bit of history, you know that there's a lot of um, debate over some of his views, especially when it comes to aqidah. But most ulama still have a, a deep love for him. Uh, but he tended to be very strict on certain things that the you could say the, the, the majority of ulama don't necessarily accept or agree today. But Ibn al-Qayyim had such a deep love for his teacher that although you can see through a lot of his writings and a lot of his books, although he differed from his, the stance of his teacher, meaning he was a lot more comfortable with with um, the works of Imam Ghazali, and and uh, uh, and he's actually written books on the traveling of the Sadiqin, Madaraja Sadiqin, the traveler's path, and etc. He would not speak out against his teacher, and even in his writings, he was he had showed a lot of love. So, one of the first things that we learn from him is that he, despite having different views than his teacher, he had a lot of love, and he was very careful not to speak openly out against his teacher. Okay, so. Um, Amongst his students, Ibn al-Qayyim's students, were two very, very renowned people. 
And one of them was actually in the prison with Ibn Taymiyyah, Ibn Taymiyyah, Ibn Al-Qayyim, and one other very prolific scholar who wrote a tafsir of the Qur'an. He was a student of Ibn Al-Qayyim, and he goes by the name of Ibn Kathir. You've heard of tafsir Ibn Kathir? Probably the most famous tafsir written today. Imam Ibn Kathir, rahmatullahi alayhi, was a student of Ibn Al-Qayyim, rahimahullah. He was his student. So Ibn, Ibn Kathir, he actually says about him, he, meaning Ibn Al-Qayyim, just to speak to his piety, he recited the Qur'an beautifully and was loved by great many people. He neither envied nor harmed anyone, nor tried to find fault with them. Look, it's one thing for me to praise Ibn Al-Qayyim. It's another thing for Imam Ibn Kathir to praise Ibn Al-Qayyim. Imagine someone of his caliber who's so accepted by the entire ummah of the Prophet Imagine that person having you know, even one word of praise for us. Now, now look at the way he's praising his teacher. He says, He neither envied nor harmed anyone, nor tried to find fault with them, nor harbored malice toward them. In short, there were few people like him. He was dominated mostly by goodness and a virtuous nature. You get this feeling he was very soft-hearted, right? I mean, Ibn Taymiyyah, who was his teacher, he was very confrontational. He was very, and you know this, he was confrontational against the leaders of the time. He was confrontational against other ulama. He was very vocal. Ibn Qaymiyyah was, uh, Ibn Qayyim was very different, kind of kept the type of person that, you know, um, he wouldn't be as vocal. He wasn't as confrontational. He, he, he was very powerful in his, in his writings, very powerful in his teachings, and he impacted a lot of people, but he wasn't one that would try to, in any way, shape, or form, harm anyone around. You can kind of get a picture. And then his other very famous student goes by the name, and many of you probably have heard his name, Ibn Rajab, Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali, a very famous scholar. He wrote probably the most um, famous um, uh, commentary on the 40 hadith of Imam Nawawi. Jami' al-Ulum wal-Hikam The most famous commentary on the 40 hadith Was written by Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali Very famous scholar And he himself says about Ibn al-Qayyim may, may Allah bless him He was a person of worship and night prayer So it's important when we, when we choose scholars that we want to follow in our life Or that we want to benefit from um, We're used to We're used to um, speakers We're used to speakers And we Based off of their speech We make decisions um, About them Now it's not in general Our place to ever judge anyone else But when you're choosing To take your deen from someone One of the most important things To look for Is their piety And their taqwa And it's hard to gauge this Right it's hard to gauge this, but when you have glimpses into their personal life and you see that when they're by themselves, they're special. It isn't just when they're in the public eye. Then you know that this person is someone special and I really need to attach myself to them. So Ibn Rajab is saying this about Ibn Al-Qayyim. May Allah bless him. He was a person of worship and night prayers. Night prayer. If someone can perform the night prayer, that's a special thing because you don't pray the night prayer in public. You have to wake up on your own in private in the darkness of the night when no one else can see you unless you know someone's really keeping tabs on you. So if you're someone who's consistent in the nightly prayer, then that's something special. Someone who used to make the prayer last as long as possible. He was devoted to the remembrance, dhikr. He was constant in his love of Allah, in his turning back to Allah, in seeking forgiveness in his dependence on Allah, and in his humility before him. He reached a level of devotion which I have never witnessed in anyone else. 
Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali is saying this about Ibn al-Qayyim. He reached a level of devotion which I have never witnessed in anyone else. And this is a time of, of abundant scholarship in the height of Islamic scholarship. And, and you could say the ummah was thriving at the time, which is an indication that the ummah contained people that were thriving in their deen at the time. And the, most, um, the, the person that most affected this Ibn Rajab was Ibn al-Qayyim during this time. Nor have I seen anyone more vast in learning or more knowledge of the meanings of the Quran and the Sunnah and the inner and the inner realities of faith. So he was a very well-rounded person as well. It wasn't that he was just engaged in talking about the um, inner realities or the spiritual realities of this deen. He was a prolific scholar. His writings in the Quran and Sunnah as well. And then he continues. And while I know he was not infallible. Yet I have never seen anyone who was closer to the meaning of this word. And while I know he was not infallible, he knows he was not infallible because we're human beings. No human being is infallible. The prophets, the only ones that didn't make mistakes. While I know he was not infallible, yet I have never seen anyone who was closer to the meaning of this word. So this is the person who Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is blessing us with uh, allowing us to cover some of his writings, inshallah, over the course of the weekend. So I mentioned there's different parts of this book. And the one part that I found to be very uh, beneficial, uh, all of it is, um, but this one particular section is where Imam uh, Ibn al-Qayyim, he uh, writes or describes 100 benefits of remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I'm going to start the text right now, and I'm just going to, he lists off the first eight without going into detail. For the purposes of barakah so that we can start our weekend inshallah with this text, I'm going to just read off and maybe briefly comment on these eight, mem- these eight points and then inshallah we'll continue the following sessions going into a lot of detail with each of these, with, with the points that he mentions inshallah. So, Imam, so he mentions on this section, the many benefits of remembrance. There are more than a hundred benefits to remembrance. So he lists off a hundred. He mentions more than a hundred. If we were to try to quantify ourselves, if we could think in our own mind, how many benefits are there to the remembrance of Allah, we'd be hard-pressed to come up with ten. And if we as a group came up with a hundred, that would be an accomplishment. Yet he himself is saying there are more than one hundred benefits to remembrance. Number one, remembrance drives away fetters and breaks the devil, breaks the shaitan. And we'll talk about this in more detail. Um, but the point being that shaitan cannot access a person who is engaged in Allah's remembrance. This is in hadith. He has to run away from that person. And our, and our enemy, our only enemy, our only foe is shaitan, our true enemy. And, uh, and remembrance drives him away. Number two, it pleases the most merciful Allah Almighty. I'm just listing these ones off. It, number three, it removes the cares and worries of the heart. It removes the cares and the worries of the heart. Because when a person remembers Allah, their heart becomes stuck on Allah and on Allah's greatness and on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's majesty and His magnificence. When the heart is stuck there, it has, it's unable to care about the mundane issues of this world and the mundane worries of this world. We'll talk about this one in a lot more detail over the course of the weekend. Number four, it brings happiness, joy, and relief. Al-farah wal-surur wal-bast. And bast, it translates to relief or amusement as well. So it brings happiness, joy, and relief to the heart. We alluded to this a little bit earlier. We'll talk about this in particular a lot more this weekend, inshallah. Number five, it strengthens both the heart and the body. 
it strengthens both the heart and the body. This is, you know, this this idea of remembering Allah or spending time in Allah's remembrance, it isn't just beneficial for the heart. It's also beneficial for the physical body too. And this is the reason that, you know, people are engaging uh, in a lot of different meditative practices because on the physical body, it's helpful as well, right? It, and there's a lot of evidence for this in science today. Number six, it illuminates the face and the heart. It illuminates the face and it illuminates the heart. If a person engages in Allah's remembrance, maybe we can't tell, but certain people can tell this person is someone who truly remembers Allah because their face actually radiates a light. Their face actually radiates a light. You know, when someone comes back from Hajj, you can see the nur coming off of their face. Right? And there's a couple of reasons for that, but one main reason is because they spent the last 10, 12 days engaged in Allah's remembrance. And they went to the place that's most special to Allah to engage in Allah's remembrance. They come back with this light on their face. That's, it's perceivable. Okay, number, um, number seven. It brings provision, rizq. One of the effects of Allah's remembrance is that it increases you in your rizq. And number eight. It adorns the one who practices it, meaning the dhikr of Allah, with dignity, sweetness, and radiance. It's a form of decoration for us, right? We, when we think of decorating our, ourselves, we think of outward decoration. It might be makeup, it might be hairstyles, it might be clothing, name brand clothing, it might be um, uh, jewelry, right? Um, this is one way of adorning oneself. It's a transient way, right? Styles change. You can adorn yourself with a particular brand of clothing today and you wear it 20 years from now, everybody will laugh at you. Right, you can you can adorn yourself with, um, with uh, uh, with a, a certain color of, of makeup today, right? And twenty years from now, you'll be laughed at. But here he mentions that if you adorn yourself with Allah's remembrance, the one who practices it will becomes adorned or decorated with dignity, with sweetness, and with radiance. So these are the first eight points, and again, he doesn't go into detail with these. That's why I'm just listing them off so that we can start the text. And inshallah, in the subsequent sessions over the course of the weekend, we're going to go into a lot of detail with this, inshallah. So may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant um, all of us a tawfiq to uh, benefit from this gathering. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us true thakirin, true, true uh, believers that remember Him and remember Him abundantly. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, shower His mercy down upon us uh, as we collect in His home this weekend.